Hi everybody, my name's Sean Sennett and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Talk. Very excited this week to have a chat with John Paul Young. Uh, you might know him from Lovers in the Air, I Hate the Music, Yesterday's Hero. I mean, talk about, you know, the king of pop. JPY is a great singer. He's just written a book called JPY, The Autobiography, and uh, tells some great stories from when he came to Australia as a young boy from Scotland. Then he talks about his life as a sheet metal worker. That obviously didn't work out, thank goodness. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff about working with Harry Vander and George Young. And uh, I guess the fateful moment, too, when he meets Simon Napier-Bell, JPY's in cover bands. He discovers him and asks him to record a song called Pasadena. The morning of the interview, I had um, one of JPY's signature songs in my head. Couldn't get it out. Keep on smiling. So I started off by asking him about that song and how it's received back in the day. But anyway, here he is, JPY. Thanks for joining us. When I was writing the book and, uh, and I was going through all sorts of stuff and old scrapbooks and there was a, a column that Molly wrote about Keep On Smiling. He didn't like it, so uh, that stuck with me. So I'm having a bit of fun with that on stage. You know, it's funny. You know, back then, if because obviously the world's very different in terms of how people consumed information. If a critic didn't like a song, did it really matter that much, or was it really the gods of radio that kind of determined if something's going to be hit or not? Oh, I don't know. I never really looked at Molly as a critic. Right. He was just a mate of mine. He was a mate, You know, yeah. That, yeah. that said stuff. Yes. It's <laughs> like, you know, I, I could understand where he was coming from, but, you know, it was... I was always um, fairly true to what the management and the record company were saying, you yeah. know, and if they... Yeah. Whatever they said went, you know, and that was it. And, you know, so I didn't... Um, I didn't dwell too much on what, what Molly was saying. You yeah. Know, it, you know, it was... It was as if I just had to click my fingers and yeah. and everything would, would happen, you know. But, yeah. of course, that's not the case. Right? Well, it's, it's funny reading the book, and I wanted to sort of get to that. There is a bit of a feeling when you read the book that everything happens in the sequence it's supposed to happen in, <laughs> in terms of particularly the, the early part of the career. Yeah. So I should ask you initially, what prompted you to want to write a memoir? Well, I never really wanted to. It was only, to be brutally honest, because a publisher asked me. Right. You know, and I thought, well, at least I don't have to write it and flog it around yeah. the place and convince people. Yeah. So, you know, that was sort of the right, okay, why not? Yeah. I think that's the reason most people write them. Yeah. You know, somebody says, I want to read it. And what was your process? I mean, you kind of had the typewriter every day or... Yeah, two fingers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Took me nine months. Wow. Yeah. And did you literally start the beginning and end at the ending, or did you just draw bits from all No, well, it, look, it was a bit of a hodgepodge, to be honest, because I, in my mind, I was going to stop the book around about 1987. Yeah. And then with a view to maybe writing another one later. Yeah. Um, but the publisher wanted, didn't want me stopping there. They wanted to talk about what's happened in the last 30 years, which I did, but it's only very brief. Yeah. As you can see, it's just stuff, you know. Yeah. Awards and things like that that happened in the Olympics and da-da-da-da-da, and it's basically in and out and that's it. Yeah. But, yeah, there's still a lot more to talk about. In terms of um, how you did it, did, I know she, it was Michael Ashley who's a friend of yours. Yeah, yeah, had yeah. Diaries and so forth. Did you keep a diary back in the day? No, or? not at all. No, no, no. Look, nobody's more surprised about 
my success and my longevity and my position in the music business, nobody's more surprised than me. Yeah, yeah. There's no way that I could, you know, back then, you know, think that anything was going to happen, to be honest. It just, I just let things roll along and, and they did happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. The only part of the book I, I really enjoyed uh, when you talk about being a kid in Scotland and coming mm. here and that beautiful story about the guy with the gum leaves. Oh, yeah. Earth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've relayed that story on radio quite a few times in Perth and nobody's ever come forward or nobody's ever rung up and said, oh, that was my uncle or anything like that, you know. So it was, yeah. it's a real mystery. I would, I would love to have... Uh, got in contact with him or his family it would have been yeah. you know something because it really was for a kid of my age it was just something spectacular and something yeah. you know like a city kid all of a sudden yeah yeah you know wandering around king's park and that view from king's park and everything it's just yeah it was astounding it was astounding so how old were you when it was the cambria you came on right yeah oh, i was 11 I was, I was 11 and a half when you got so you, you're old enough to uh, be aware of your surroundings, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I was, you know, as I said in the book, I, I went from a, a city kid spiv. Yeah. To back into into shorts and yeah. sitting by the banks of a creek. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, deep down inside, I thought, it's good to be a kid again. Wow. Know? Because I was, I was dead. I was on the trajectory of being an adult. Yeah. Double quick time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I couldn't wait to grow up. And, you know, I'm, I think <laughs> coming to Australia sort of retarded that. Yeah. Hugely. I'm still waiting to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there seems something too about you coming to Australia where you really sort of, I don't know if you fell in love with nature for the first time, but certainly the outdoors seemed to connect with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right, you know, well, because we didn't have much. You know, there wasn't wasn't much of it in Glasgow. You know, there's that little photo of me and my brother at the. You know, we used to go and catch tadpoles and things like that. You know, that yeah. was a great thrill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was it. You know, as apart from that little journey that Dad took us on uh, up into the the low part of the Highlands, and uh, mm. you know, I've always been. I think most kids are. You're fascinated with fire and everything else, you know, and just yeah. sitting by a campfire and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But, no, coming here was, you know, yeah, just a jackpot for all those feelings. It was great. I interviewed Stevie Wright maybe about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and he said to me that the big bang for him was um, being in a milk bar in Sydney hearing JAK on the radio. All right. And he said, oh, that's what I want to do. Uh -huh. Was there a moment for you where music became the thing? No, because it was all around me anyway. Right. Music was always there. It wasn't something that I ever thought that I could make money out of until until the little band started, until Elm Tree started. And, yeah. And it really was that magic moment when my old mate Dougie Fussell said the first 40 years are the worst, you know, when he said that... That was the moment where I thought I better start concentrating on this side of my life rather than yeah. anything else because I really don't want to be in this factory for the next 40 years. Because you, know, you write the book about being a sheet metal worker yeah. and uh, was it the Indian Pacific you built on your own? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, P-plane holders, you know. <laughs> um, you know, I, I built a, 
the body of a fuzz box, uh, a fuzz wah-wah pedal, you know, for, for the guitarists and, you know, stuff like that, letter boxes. My dad built a letterbox for Graham Kennedy. I didn't put that in the book, but that's true. Right. Was that when I was doing blankety blanks, you know? And he oh. and he said, he said you were a sheet metal worker. He said, I'd love a letterbox. I said, well, my dad's still in the business. I said, I'll get him to make one. So he did. Wow. <laughs> he made it out at Hawker de Havilland in Bankstown. It's <laughs> still out there somewhere. Yes, yeah, Graham Kennedy's letterbox. Yeah, that's right. Should be in the National Archive or something like that. <laughs> So it's, it's interesting because the song that kind of propelled you initially was Pasadena. Yeah. But you were aware of that song before Simon Napier-Bell brought you the, the demo. Yeah, I mean, it really... Was it on the radio or did you hear people No, no, there was a band called Pyramid. Earl Dalby was the lead singer and there was Georgie Kent and Jimmy Squadrito, the three of them, and it was like a three-dog night setup. Right. And they used to play Pasadena live when we were all uh, doing gigs together and I straight out the front as soon as I heard that song because I just loved the song now unbeknown to me they had recorded it yeah but it wasn't successful so it wasn't released but they were still playing it live and you know for for that to happen for all of a sudden I mean I still I can see it right now I can see Napier Bell sitting down behind that piano in, in Albert's and and I nearly fainted when he played that. I just went, no. Well, wow. really? she knew that was the song. Oh, yeah, I just loved the song. Yeah. I just loved the song. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, Napier Bell was the, the brains behind it that said, you know, <clears throat> we're chasing something we've already got. Use the demo. Yeah. And he put the orchestra on it and he put the choir on it and put a very stumbling me on it. So, yeah. so you took home an acetate with George Young, mm. who'd written it with Harry Vander. Yeah. George Young was singing it, yeah. and Napier Bell suggested you sing over the top of it and we'll keep yeah. overdubbing. Yeah. So what is it about a song, because you've recorded hundreds of them, mm. when do you know there's magic in a take? It makes you smile. Right. It just makes you smile. You yeah. know, you, It's an automatic response. I remember that from the Beatles days. You know, you just When music makes you smile, it's... It's something, you know, and, yeah. and it's that intangible thing. You know, people say, oh, um, why don't you write another one? You know, I mean, shit, it ain't that easy. <laughs> you know, it, it, and it's not easy because you don't know how you got there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. You know, you really don't. It, it, I mean, this is true of Elton John, Paul McCartney, anybody you want to name. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have a number one song every year. Yes, of course. You know, so... It is that intangible thing. Nobody knows, you know. So after Pasadena, obviously you're doing the musicals, so you're leaving the sheet metal work behind, and then you obviously then met Harry and George for the first time, mm. but you, you'd never met them when they were in the Easy Beats or anything like no. that? No. Right. No, not at all. You're just a bit too young to see the Easy's play? Yeah, that's right. I was I was just a fan, big fan. Still am, you know. Like I'm a lifelong fan of Vander and Young, of the Easy Beats. Anything and everything they ever did, you know, like just the the musicianship of those people was just incredible, you know, considering that they'd only been together three years since, uh, you know, since Friday on my mind, you know. It's, I mean, just Dick Diamond's bass playing alone is just astonishing, you know. It's incredible. So where did you first meet them? Did you, was it in Albert since Yeah, in Albert. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. day one... At work, was it yesterday's hero when you actually sat down with them? No, no, no. We had um, 
we had a couple of songs. One was, one was called uh, Bad Trip, and that was, that was banned, right? Because of drug connotations, and of course, it had nothing to do with drugs. It was, it was all about somebody watching a suicide. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and there was another one I can't. Uh, Love is like a cloudy day. Sure, we recorded that too, and that didn't happen. And then yesterday's hero was the one that clicked it. Yeah, that was the big bang. Yeah, and obviously, you know, countdown was a massive um, thing for you. You arriving mm. at the right time. If people from 2019 say, "What were the 70s like in Australia?" What would you say? Well, now, now that I know what it's like now, back then. We were kind of like little palm trees in the middle of a desert, you know, people in the music business. Right. There wasn't that many of us. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and I really do see that as a pretty empty landscape back then. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of bands around and stuff, but wasn't that many getting airplay. Yeah, sure. You know, getting getting onto the charts. Um, you know, and... It was such an odd time in, in music because there was just the full gamut of everything, you know. There was um, there was teeny bop music, there was heavy metal, hard rock, there was jazz with Chicago and people yeah. like that. There was, you know, blood, sweat and tears. So it was just a hell of a mix of stuff. And you could hear it all on one station, yeah. <laughs> you know. And... And that, to me, is, you know, it's something I've always longed for. I've always longed for... I, I, I long for it right now. I I want to turn on a station and I want to hear all that shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I really hate the fact that they pigeonholed me, you know, and they just say, well, if you like that, you're not allowed to like that. Yeah. And it's just it's just a fucking nonsense as far as I'm concerned. I hate it. So for you as a music listener now, I mean, do you stream things? Do you no, uh, no. I, I listen to my, I listen to my my local community radio station in Newcastle. Right. That's run by the Newcastle University, because they play stuff from my era. Yeah. You know, and and a little bit, they creep into modern day a bit, but generally, it just takes me back there. I I haven't got the patience. Yeah. To go stabbing around yeah. radio stations anymore yeah. to find out what I like because, you know, to be honest, a lot of the rap is just, you know, it just bores me to tears. I think melody and pop is starting to come back in again. Yeah. You know, that's starting to filter back in again. So it's it's getting, it's more of an attraction now than it was, say, two years ago. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I'm not blind to it, but, oh, I don't know, I just... I think what pisses me off about the, the media and everything these days is that you you can be an absolute total arsehole and it'll pay off. Yeah, that's And true. that's a problem. It I is, don't yeah. like that. I don't like, you know, shock jocks and fucking, you know, people who just go out there and, you know, basically really fucking behave badly and... and yeah. And it's sort of, you know, they sort of get a badge pinned on them. Yeah. You know, that, that really... 
I'm starting to sound like an old fart, but that's, you know. We see that in the Instagram world, you know, people become influencers for that kind of behaviour, then it just kind of blows out of control. On this podcast we're doing it, I interviewed Steve Van Zandt a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he thinks that 1951 to 1973 will be seen like the Renaissance is seen now Mm -hmm. for painting for music. Yeah. Because it's such an amazing golden period. Mm -hmm. And what you're alluding to, it must have been amazing to get up as a kid every day, turn the dial on, and it's something else magical. That's right. It was. It was magic, you know. And and that was me, as far back as I can remember, I think think it was a Saturday lunchtime in Glasgow. There was uh, a program basically for, for young people. And it, but it wasn't um, what you'd imagine. It wasn't pop music because it hadn't quite grabbed yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was things like Burl Ives and, you yeah. know, and Jimmy Crack Corn and I Don't Care yeah. and all that sort yeah. of stuff, you know. But it was all happy, yeah. you know, jolly stuff, you know. It was great, you know. And, and, and because I was brought up in a family of singers and not professional singers, just people who sang. Yeah. Um, you know, it was always there. It was always the front of your head, you know, and it was always, oh, I wonder what, wonder what would happen if I sang along with that and just tried to find a different note to what he's singing, but it's still got to fit. I mean, I was mucking around with harmony, but I didn't know it. I didn't, didn't even know that was a word, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just playing around with my own head, you know. So that was, that was where all that came from, you know, and you were always trying to... Um, I've said it before. The most important thing to me when I hit that stage is sing in tune. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it. I don't care about anything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Time to... You always just had natural ear for that. It wasn't something you worked towards. Yeah, well, no, you did work towards it because, you know, the, they, they, your family were not, not long in telling you if you were shit. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, so. yeah. But you didn't take it as an insult. Yeah. You took it as you better try harder. I'm, I'm curious, when things really kicked off for you, and you're in the, the zeitgeist, everything's happening. What was the the songwriting process and your involvement with Vander and Young? So uh, did you, they literally call you and go, it's time to record, these are your choices? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, was, I wasn't much help because um, I was such a fan. Yeah. Honestly, they could have laid anything in front of me. I would have said, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, and they did give me quite a few times uh, the choices and I... And I 90% of the time I'd give them back and say, I can't choose. Yeah, <laughs> right. You pick it. Wow. You know, it's yeah. just... That's my biggest problem has always been I've never... I've never had a clear goal. Yeah. Never had a clear goal as to I want to sing that and be that. Yeah. And that's always been my problem. Yeah, And that's right. probably a product of, you know, being brought up with all different kinds of music, you know. Sure. And I just like music. I don't... You know, I, I, that's where my professionalism, I suppose, falls down because, you know, I'm not, you know, particularly glued to any one thing, you know, and that's, you know, that that's what happened. That's why George and Harry basically had to finally call it quits with me, you know, because there was no direction coming from me right. <laughs> at all, you know, yeah, just yeah. nothing, you know. Yeah. I, I love all sorts of different kinds of music, you know, so... Um, yeah. So something like, say, I hate the music, mm. would they just literally get you into the room and I imagine George would sit at the piano? How did it work? What happened? Oh, that was weird. I hate the music in particular was very odd because it was... Um, I sang that backtrack. So the backtrack was mainly a, a, a banjo. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
and and I remember remember them saying, no, no, sing it harder, sing it harder, you know, like get more force into it. And it was a bit hard because there wasn't much you got no backing there. Behind you, just yeah. got a banjo, yeah. So it, I did it. I think we were in Tasmania and they sent a cassette over and I nearly fainted when I played that. I thought, Jesus Christ, what have they done? <laughs> it's got this big circus madness to Amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah. So something like, say, where the action is. Yeah. Um, I assume that was a hit. I haven't looked up the Yeah, it was. The yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, we had two cracks at that. We'd, we uh, recorded it the first time and they weren't happy with it and they junked it. But Wayne DeGrucci, my manager at the time, he um, he kept pushing them and pushing them and pushing them. I love the song. We've got to do it again. We've got to do yeah. it again. So we, we did it again and they were happier with it the second time around. So that was them, I assume, as jobbing songwriters even though they're geniuses at it yeah. basically want to write another song about a Friday probably yeah 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 oh, they you know they love Fridays they love rain they love the they love the normal things in life you know that, that people could just connect to yeah you yeah. know that. so you didn't have to work hard at connecting with a, a George and Harry song you know it was it's there you know it was laid out for you yeah. you know this is this is what people care about or not care about, but the, it's there. It's in their heads, You yeah. know, it's in their heads, you know, so they... So, so when you released something like uh, Standing in the Rain, mm. was disco a big thing at the time? Or was it... It was. was the early days of? It was, but it was early, it was, it was early days. You had your Glor- Gloria Gaynor and... Uh, who else? What was the other girl? I thought there was a couple of, yeah, females that were, you know, pretty big. Donna Summer. Yeah, Donna Summer, that's the one I was thinking of, yeah. And I don't know, I really don't know. I, I think, um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, standing in their own getting airplay in Germany was just as big a surprise to them as it was to anybody. Right. You know, it was, it was a B-side, you know, and, and it had the longest intro on the planet. You know, it just goes forever before, it, before the vocal comes in. You know, so I don't know. I really don't know. You know, they they honestly thought "Keep on Smiling" was was going to be the one, and um, thank God for Mr. Peter Smiths in Germany who went flip and yeah. took it to the clubs, and off it went. I guess that's the great thing about DJs in that time, where you'd, his stories, whether it be Boss Gags or mm. or them, whoever it might be, a DJ would have the autonomy to flip the record over. Yeah. Whereas they couldn't do that now. So everything's like. In Australia's case, it's some guy in some remote place saying, this is the playlist. Oh, it's awful, you know. Like, it's I, a terrible I, thing. You know, th- this is another thing that I, I, I don't like. I don't like the nationalism of, uh, of a radio. Um, I spoke to a guy, I'm going back probably five years ago now, a, a bloke in Dubbo, he said, yeah. he said there's nothing more galling than, than getting a, a radio program from Sydney. Um, the DJ whinging about the wet weather. And here we are out here and having a drought, oh, you know, and it's, stuff, it's yeah. just fucking insanity, you yeah. know, like that 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 we expect people in the regions to just take something from the city and yeah, yeah, and live their life by that, you know, it's nuts. The old, uh, you know, radio these days is just it's just a fucking salesman's tool. Mm. It's got nothing to do with anything else really and that's a piss off you know you're, yeah. you're not allowed short of uh, the breakfast shift you're really not allowed to have a personality 
Mm. You're not allowed to be anybody. You just got to spruik the company lines, start to finish, ten seconds out of mouth. I mean, some of the things that two WS do in Sydney just freak the shit out of me. They chop out verses out of Piano Man because it's too long. They did a whole celebration on the on Elvis Presley's birthday and did not play one Elvis fucking tune. They played all these cover versions oh. of Elvis songs all day. And I just sit in the radio and go, what? You know, what Philistines? What absolute yeah. assholes? Greatest singer of the 20th century. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> they can't the bring themselves to play three no, bars of nuts. That's just nuts. You know, and yet they will take all of his kudos mm. and, and wear it like a cloak mm. and won't even play the guy's song. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, uh, the last Arcade Fire album. Did you hear it? No. Because it sounds like a J.P. White record from the 70s. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, a friend of mine from one of the labels What's said... What's the band? Arcade Fire. I've never heard of them. Yeah, it sounds like Standing in the Rain kind of thing. I put it on. Oh, wow. It sounds like J.P. White. <laughs> this, this mate of mine said it'd be the greatest thing to have this one of the coolest bands in the world and you guys do a double header. Oh, because it's God. so in that kind of... Um, I'll get you a copy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Google it. You can, that's right, you Google away. <laughs> I, I like with the book, um, particularly little bits of nuance you had in there. Like you mentioned the, the Nissan huts in the yeah. migrant hostel when you came out and even things like the bugs buzzing around the lights. And when I read that in the book, you're right, it just doesn't happen anymore. No. So I, I was wondering, what was your process for taking yourself to that place to write about it? Did you sort of sit there and meditate on it, or it was just instant recall? Oh, it's just things that impressed me, by you know, back then. You know, it's just things that you never ever saw in Glasgow. You know, so it was uh, it was totally new and unique. And I mean, these I don't know whether maybe because I was smaller, but these bugs to me seemed like <laughs> six yeah. inches long. You know? Yeah, they carry you off. Were, yeah, yeah, you know, and that was just fascinating. I was never scared of getting getting bit or yeah anything like that you know I mean I, I was careful enough but and I'm the same today you know like if somebody was put a snake in front of me or anything like that you know I'd quietly assess the situation yeah. without yeah. freaking out yeah yeah, yeah. when you're obviously a massive pop star here you went back to Glasgow mm. for the first time did you feel pangs of wanting to be there or once you'd arrived and smelt those gumleys you always wanted to be here yeah, I think, look, I'll always be Scottish, there's no doubt about that, but um, I could never live back there again. It's just not me, Yeah, you know, it's just not me anymore. And, and you know, and, and that's London, fucking Berlin, I don't care, you know, and I could, and I could have done it many times in the past. I yeah. could just go back, Yeah, live in England, uh, yeah. and flit over the channel and do gigs in Europe. Um, lovers in the air and standing in the rain are enough enough to keep me in gigs over there if I wanted to do that. And it would probably be more lucrative and everything else. But it just doesn't interest me. It's just yeah. not it's just not me, you know. I, I I just love this country so much and and uh, you know, the old man brought us all over here and, and you know I I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ever let that go. It's yeah, just something yeah, that's yeah. so much a part of me, yeah. you know. Especially because he died so young, you know. And it's like, you know, I, I take him everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
It's funny seeing a picture of him in the book because it looks like you. Yeah, at the games, people have said know. that, yeah. 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 But when uh, Love's in the Air was written, um, obviously it was written as a reaction to standing to mm. keep us standing in the rain become such a big hit. Yeah. Um, you told me once, and I don't think this was in the book, that you took the your finished record home to your parents. Yes. And they put it on immediately. Yeah. And oh, uh, Mum and her friend just got up straight away and started dancing. Yeah. It was instant. And I see it every time we play the song. People just get up and dance. Yeah. <laughs> Did, you, have you ever been in a situation where there's enough time gone by since you recorded that song to possibly get close to hearing it like the rest of us hearing it? Have you ever heard in a supermarket where you've gone, oh, that sounds good? Oh, yeah. No, no, it's, it always sounds good to me. Yeah, that's great to hear. It always sounds good to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is one of the miracles of, uh, of recording that that song, 40 years down the track, sounds like it was made yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's an incredible piece of music, to what they've done, you know, it's just... It's a, it's a bit of magic, you know, it really is a bit of magic and, and it's just, oh, it's, it's, it astounds me, you know. Like, I always get a bit scared because every now and again, you know, my local radio station will play, you know, one of my songs and and uh, I'm always scared that, you know, if I'm in the car and one of my songs is on, because I don't turn it off. Yeah. You know, I, I do I do listen to it. and I'll, Professionally, I like to listen to it just to make sure that I'm still reproducing it faithfully. Um, but there's always this nagging worry. Fuck, I hope somebody doesn't come along and open the door and say, what are you doing? <laughs> Sitting here listening to your own music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, if you get on that one, it'd be hard to turn off. <laughs> and, and it is funny too how the song did have this amazing afterlife. With Strictly Ballroom, oh, obviously. Oh, God, yeah. And then... Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just... Obviously, it was... It it hit Baz Luhrmann faster than anybody else that it, that it could go again. Yeah, You yeah, know, yeah, I yeah. think that's... Yeah. That's really is the... You know, it, and it was also the placement of it. You know, the fact that it was right at the end of the movie. Right at the... At the... At the gravy stroke, if you like, you know, it was just like, yeah, bang, you know, and it fucking just lifted everything, you know. It was just quite remarkable. Stroke of genius, you know. Yeah, it, it really was. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're actually still coming back to Queensland because in the book, Gladstone was a tough gig. Oh. Underwood was worse. Oh, fucking Underwood! <laughs> Show us your cock. I don't know what to say about that, but people should read the book and read for themselves. But <laughs> it, 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 is it a funny thing I, I sort of noticed with, with artists? Um, they don't go away. They keep touring. They keep making music. But mm. people go off and have kids. They have mortgages. They don't go out as much. Yeah. And then they go, oh, JPY or Daryl Braithwaite, whoever's making a comeback. But you've always been there doing your thing. Oh, Just sure. that people get interested again. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, I think it's a realisation of, of your own mortality. Yeah. You know, and and we're all the same when it comes to that. And when people get older, they um, they want to relive their past, you know, as much as they can. And so nostalgia now is just, it's on an upswing, and it's not just me. Yeah. It's everybody of my ilk, you yeah. know. So yeah. it's, um, it's, it's out there. It's, you know, this was not the case 10 years ago. 
Yeah. And barely five years ago. Yeah, was right. not the case. So you've noticed the difference. It's, yeah, all of a sudden, it's yeah. there's a swell there. I guess it's a weird time we live in too because, you know, due to streaming and uh, the multitude of yeah. TV channels, everything from the past pretty much is at your fingertips. Yeah, but there's not... You know, I, once again, I think I think the waters the waters are very muddied. You know, there's so much shit out there. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you just come along to a live gig and see the people you used to see when you were younger, it's uh, it becomes appealing again. It's interesting. I've seen you a few times over the years, and uh, I've really loved the the Vander Young show you do. Mm. And uh, the great thing is, it's not just your material; it's the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, and I think you told me, or you were saying on stage maybe, that you and George Young sat down a while ago mm-hmm. to have a big chat. You wanted to pick his brains. And yeah. uh, how far did you get? Or did it turn Not just very to... far. Right. <laughs> Not very far. I mean, you know, they're, they're both so... And I don't think it's intentionally being secretive. They just... They're kind of a little bit like myself, you know. I mean, they, they don't really see any great importance in it. Yeah. You know, in a way, you know, they, it's nice that people are interested and everything else, but they don't see it the same way, you know. it's They're, they're just so, you know, basically humble and, I, you know, George said to me, ah, oh, because I, I spoke to him about about, um, about Evie and he, you know, and he, I said, there's lots of theories as to what all that's all about, you know, and he said, ah, oh, he said, honestly, he said it was just three songs that fitted together. He said... You're getting a lot of trouble trying to second guess what a composer's writing about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, it's, it's just stuff, you know, it really is. Well, it, it's, it's funny, I remember I only spoke, spoke to George once and I said to him just off the cuff how much I loved Julia. Mm-hmm. And, no, no, it was, um, what was the other Ted song, the big hit he had? Uh, Falling in Falling Love Falling in again. Love Again, yeah. Yeah, and he said, oh, the old Mullery thing. Like, it was no big deal. It was no, just, no. It was just a song. <clears throat> No, that's right. Oh, they're just so... <laughs> they were just so prolific. So, so when you heard things like Down Among the Dead Men on the radio, yeah, so yeah. you were making records at the same time and mm. Evie or whatever it might be, was there ever you sort of thinking, oh, I'd love to get my hands on that? I suppose you are now in a way. Uh, yeah, well, I am now. Yeah. That's right. No, at the time, no. No, no, it was, you know, I just admired, you know, whatever they came up with. You yeah. Know, like, you know, I, I can put on a Flash in the Pan album and love... Just about every track on there. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I um. Waiting for a train is a beauty. Well, yeah, yeah. and there was another one called Ayla, A Y L A. You know, and that's, I um. Got home one, early one morning after a gig and turned the SBS on and here's this fucking movie from, Yugoslavia or, Uzbekistan or something, and there's a scene in a disco. And there's Ayla is playing in the background. You yeah, know? wow. <laughs> just going, you know, it's just amazing. So this tour you're doing, um, when you are doing the Vanity Young Songbook, yeah. have you ever thought about uh, either recording a live album from it or you going into the studio and cutting the tracks you haven't done? No. Is it because you'd be competing with their no. production skills and perfection? or? Oh, look, there's many, many reasons, but I think the most... The biggest reason is that I think my, as far as recording goes, my ship has sailed and I don't think there's any, I don't, you know, I, I, I think I'm kidding myself, you know, writing a, 
you know, thinking that thinking that I'm going to who is who the hell is going to play a new John Paul Young song? You know, which station? I come up with a blank every time I think of it. Okay, right, right. You know, and it's just not. You know, I'm nearly seventy for Christ's sake. You know, it's just not there anymore. And and you know, I. If that's not there, I'm not there. You know, that's, yeah. that's yeah, the yeah, way yeah. I look at it. You know, I I recorded an album with Harry, twelve years ago or something. I mean, it just went unnoticed, totally unnoticed. Yes. You know, and I thought, well, I'm not bashing my head against the wall anymore with this shit. I'm quite happy living in the past. <laughs> you know, and so is the audience. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny you mentioned 12 years. So 12 years ago, you're 58, now you're 70. Mm. Does it go pretty quick? Oh, yeah. I think it does. I think the older you get, the quicker it gets. Do you feel much different to when you're in your 50s or your 40s? No, not really. 30s? No, no, no. I feel feel kind of the same. Yep, I I always just try and behave the same and, you know, as as right or wrong as that may be. And um, I just get on with it. You know, like I said, I just got to keep on the straight and narrow when it comes to doing gigs, you know. I can yeah. I can go home and goof off and do all that, but when it's work time, it's work time. Well, when I see you guys play, I think this is one of the hottest bands in the country. Mm. You're, you're all, I haven't seen the Opia tour yet with you playing. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to be great, but you're, you're all star band. Yeah. Um, is it because, as Malcolm Gladwell says in that book, you've had the 10,000 hours, you've done your Beatles and Hamburg time with all those gigs? Yeah. Yeah, it is essentially that. You know, with uh, with me and Pig and Ronnie, it's been 44 years, you know, so we've... And we've done all sorts of shit, you know. Like, I remember, when was it? Probably... Oh, the brain's very foggy. Trying to work out when it was. Probably in the... Yeah, it would have been... Probably around 1990 or something like that. Yeah. The three of us went and uh, we only did about four different clubs, you know. We just went and did these stupid fucking RSL gigs, you know, where you, you're playing underneath the TV with the oh, football. Yeah, on yeah, it, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And we called ourselves Little Fish. And um, it didn't last long because it was just fucking abysmal. It was yes. just a horror show. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> but, we, but we went out and did it, you know. We did stupid stuff like that, you know, and we've. We've toured together for years and years and years, and my new boys in the band have been with me for 30 years and and up, you know, so it's, you know, we, we're just a unit, you know, and, and we're not just a, a unit on stage, we're a unit off stage. Yeah. We're very, very close. We're, we are a band of brothers, there's no doubt about that. I remember sending you a text um, when you last were in Queensland doing the, the Vander Young show, so how much I enjoyed it, and you said... Um, it's starting to bed in nicely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it is like that, you know, because, you know, I I just sat down and worked it all out on paper. And I think since my first draft of the show, I think I dropped, dropped one song. I think that's all I did. I just got rid of one. I got rid of the day that my heart caught fire. Yeah, right. And that was it. And uh, and for the rest, the format just seems to work really well. It yeah. just falls into yeah. place. 
Did George ever see the show? No. No. It's funny because Don Walker said to me a little while back that um, from Slim Dusty to Tex Perkins, there's not many alpha male singers, lead singers, that were actually born in Australia. No. So what is it about that migrant experience that, uh, apart from yourself and, uh, you know, obviously Bon and Stevie Wright, there's... Yeah. Well, I don't want to use the word poverty, but I think coming from a very basic existence has got a lot to do with it. I never really saw a musical instrument uh, until my old man bought a piano accordion. Mm. I used to see it uh, in Glasgow. They have the the Orange Walk, you know, that was the the Protestant side of the Catholic and and Protestants over there. And they'd have... uh, the Protestants that have this uh, big march and it was full on, you know, there was piano accordions for miles. <laughs> it was a piano accordion band, you know, and, and they had the, the, the drums and the, and the drum major up the front tossing the, the whatever it is, the big staff in the air and doing all that and twirling it and it was all very fanciful. But that was probably the only instruments I ever saw. You know, everything else was done with the voice. It's just the way it was. And it's, it was true in England, you know. You, I mean, have you ever been to a British football match? Yeah. They all sing, and they damn sing in tune too, you know. Doesn't one of the teams have Love in the Air as a song? Yeah, Dundee United, yeah. Right. Well, you should Google that and have a look. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Congrats Thank on you. the book. I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Russell Morris, he's, he's been reading it, and he, he was very complimentary. And, and Tommy Dysart that I wrote about in there. Tommy, you know, G-O-G-G-O, the Gogamobile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he rang me last night, and him and him and his wife, and he was very, very complimentary about it. And There's so many great photos in here, too, that really kind of take you into the period, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So have you caught any good fish lately? No, not really. But my One of my neighbours caught a 25-pound jewy in the bay the other day. <laughs> I, was, I was down the backyard having a fag and, and a drink and uh, and he rings me and he said, oh, we've got a fish on. <laughs> he said, oh, I don't know, he said, I think it might be a jewfish. And I said, well, okay, he said, but it could be a stingray as well. That freaked him out, he didn't want me. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so if you if you're up here in Queensland looking for a fish to eat, what's your fish of choice? Oh, um, look, anything that I know is fresh, yeah. I will eat. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's getting like that. Life is getting like that now. It's um, you know, it's it's such an annoyance to me that I I can come to a place like this mm. and not buy anything that was caught locally. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's epic, that one. Yeah. Yeah, we're absolutely right. You know, and, and I, I don't know what's happened to the world of, uh, of all of that, and it's the same where I come from. It's just... It's just rotten, you know. You can't... You just... You're basically forced to eat um, Tasmanian salmon. Yeah. If you want to go out and have fish, that's it. Yeah. You know, and on the odd occasion, on the, you'll get to a nice restaurant, you know, and you'll pay 45 bucks for it. And you get a 
a piece of snapper that's been beautifully cooked and everything, and that's great, you know, that's that's wonderful. But you've got to go right up to that high end before you can get it, you know. The, yeah. Gone are the days where you can go and get, you know, a piece of whiting or oh, yeah. a bit of snapper or, you know, a flathead. Yeah. You know, it's all gone. Yeah. You know, because, you know, once again, the, the machine of... Uh, frozen fish and all of that sort of stuff has just taken over so you can't you just can't get it anymore you know well apparently unless you pretty much go to Alaska you're not going to get fresh salmon anywhere no that's right yeah it's yeah. all going to be farmed and yep all that sort of stuff yeah and I had some I had some uh, farm barramundi barramundi about three weeks ago and I didn't think it was farmed because they were they were big portions you yeah. know of, of decent sized fish but I found out they are. They're farmed in uh, somewhere up in uh, the north northern part of WA. Right. There's a big barramundi farm there where they grow them quite big. And uh, but I wasn't impressed. It's not the same, you know. Like a fresh fresh caught barra yeah. is yeah. something to behold. <laughs> yeah. When I see salmon shrink wrapped and packet of three in Aldi yeah. for nine dollars it's not going to be good for you no I know it's just uh, yeah, it's just yeah yeah well well thanks JP White for the chat no worries at all thanks again uh, that was John Paul Young uh, thanks for being here with us on Time to Talk uh, this week I'd like to thank uh, Record Works Productions Jason Milhouse and Martin Gibbons and we'll be back again very soon so keep an eye on your podcasts <laughs>